Is the recording going on? <sighs> I pressed the start recording button and nothing happened. Welcome to the IED version of the True Penny Show. It's improvised, it's unplanned, and Mr. True Penny is probably going to explode. Well, hang on. Let's see if I can try this on my laptop instead and see if this is any better. I'll call you back in a sec. All right. Okay. It says it's recording. It says it's recording. I've got nothing on my screen whatsoever. I've got a little James is recording. Oh, nice. Now it says starting recording. <laughs> now it's recording. All right, let's get to this. Hello and welcome to the Trubany Show. My name's James Trubany. This is my show. I might sound a little bit different to what I normally do today in our usual production standards. I do apologise in advance for that. But we're doing all right. And we've got three whole pay-per-view shows to look at. And to join me today is Mr. John Dinsdale, Steel Chair Wrestling Magazine. How are you, sir? I am all right. Slightly, slightly staying from the second jab. But it's been a couple of days, so that should wear off. Oh, good. Nice to see a double vaccinated show at both ends, if you will. Indeed. Indeed. And we're going to start because we've got two shows from New Japan and one from AEW, one of which was quite important. The other two, reasonably important and kind of fix a few things we've been moaning about with New Japan for quite some time, uh, but not all the way, I don't think. But we'll, we'll, we'll start at the beginning which was a pre-show tag team match between Momo Watanabe, Sayama Kapitani, and they defeated Lady C and Makai in 12 minutes and two seconds. This was Stardom's first televised show on New Japan uh, streaming services because they've managed to figure out how all the rights are going to work and everyone's getting paid. So everyone's happy. And this was fine. It was 12 minutes of fun and kind of showed off, showcased Lady C and Makai really well, but really Watanabe and Kamitani were going to win because they're the bigger names and you kind of knew what was going to happen, but it was all all right. What was your thoughts on this, John? Yeah, it's always a mistake opening with one of the more interesting matches on the card, especially when it's from a company that is doing better than you. Yeah, but all companies in Japan are doing better than New Japan Pro Wrestling at the moment. This was, by the way, at the MetLife Dome, a 40,000-seater stadium, which had 2,000 fans in it. And you could tell. Oh, boy, hell, could you tell. Yeah. They, there was not enough black curtain going on in this particular stadium show by a long way. And you're right, this match was actually pretty good, um, especially compared to the next match, which wasn't horrible, but wasn't particularly great either. Uh, Flying Tiger, Robbie Eagles and Tiger Mask defeated the Lazignalabas de Hapon, Bushi and Hiromu Takahashi in 11 minutes and 40 seconds in a bit of a preview of the junior heavyweight title match that would happen the following day. And Robbie Eagles made Bushi submit with the Ron Miller special, kind of did what it said on the tin. Nothing wrong with it, really, but it wasn't really there to set the world on fire, was it? No, my favourite thing from the match was uh, Bushi and Hiromu's mixed-up theme, to be honest. <laughs> it sounded awesome. Yeah, it, it is cool when they spend time on things like that. I guess they spent time on it for the World Tag League, uh, the Junior World Tag League, which just happened. We didn't cover it on the Troopany Show because it's just too much stuff going on lately. <laughs> As you can oh, tell, because yeah. we're three pay-per-views today. But there was nothing wrong with it. It wasn't a particularly, you know, uh, great match. It was nice to see Tiger Mask doing so well. 
That's what I thought as well. It was, it's a nice enough match. Tag masks there doing tag mask things. And you're just like, yeah, this this filled a spot and didn't bore me to death. No. Um, and the next matchup certainly didn't bore anyone to death. The final fallout between Sho and Yo, uh, the former Rapungi 3K tag team partners, um, told an intriguing story and was a bit more than your average New Japan Junior heavyweight match. There was a lot riding on this. The obvious things being Yo's determination to remain a babyface and to remain noble and Sho's willingness to throw all of that out the window for the sake of the frustrations of his partner. Uh, during that World Tag League, uh, Junior Heavyweight World Tag League, that uh, we talked about, Sho and Yo did not finish bottom of the group. And this is this was the, the catalyst for Sho and Yo's breakup uh, and basically having been wound up by Desperado for months on end, uh, show finally broke. Um, and that's where the storyline went, really. And it's kind of, show is the kind of the biggest star. He's had the most success individually. That's not fair on Yo, because I think they're actually probably of equal stature in the company. Um, but the storyline is obviously that Yo's been losing the matches. Um, but it, it's... It's intriguing to see how they've gone um, and it'll be interesting to see who ends up where. At the minute, I'm not convinced it's done show an awful lot of good considering what happened after this. But in this particular match, he looked outstanding and so did Yo. Yo's selling was superb. It's all right being the badass that comes out and destroys everything, but you have to have somebody who looks hurt for you to do that and make it for good. 24 minutes and 41 seconds was probably a tad long for what this was, but it certainly gave them plenty of time to do what they needed to do. What's your thoughts on this, John? I really enjoyed this. I didn't expect you at first, but sure actually knows how to work a heel, like being a heel and being exciting at the same time. It wasn't as slow, plodding and methodical as the people he's been put with. So it's actually, it was really fun. I like the story. I like the fact that Shaw looks like an emo kid. It's, <laughs> it's Honestly, I'm not over that. I saw the pictures for this before I saw the shows, and I was just like, why does Shaw look like an emo? And then you see who he's been put with, and you're like, it all makes sense now. Have you heard the song, Oh No, He's Gone Emo by the Lancashire Hot Pots? Yes. Yes. I'm pretty sure you've mentioned this before. Sorry? I'm pretty sure you've mentioned the song before. Yes, this was just like, oh, show, he's gone emo. It was just a really good match. I didn't even realise it had gone on as long as it had because, for once, I was actually interested in what was going on in the ring. Well, this is the thing, isn't it? It's just that it's if it's if it's got a compelling storyline and you get lost in the moment, it doesn't matter if it's twelve minutes long or thirty-seven minutes long. It's the right length. Well, when it's thirty-seven minutes long and you're just not interested, it's the wrong length. <laughs> It's also handy that it's people we haven't seen fight before. Yes. Or fight 50 times before. Yes. And there's plenty of that coming up on the rest of this card. But we'll not moan about it too much just yet. Um, but yeah. No, it was good. It was it was fine. I think it was... Well, no, it was better than good. It was really good, actually. I don't think it was in the upper echelons of excellent. I think if they have three or four more go-arounds, I think it'll be really, really good. But this is kind of the beginning of the story, not the end, isn't it? 
I'm still not convinced by what happened after this match. <laughs> no. Show went and joined Bullet Club. <laughs> Why um, is everyone joining Bullet Club? Bullet Club has enough people now. Let's, let's... I know they have their own faction within Bullet Club called the Torture Chamber, I think. The House said. of Torture. The House of Torture, which is so like the... terrible. So it's hilarious because all it's led to is just dick torture jokes because obviously dick tour goes in there. Yes, I would like to see a return of the big dick army, if anything, uh, from the early days of Osaka Pro. I think now is the time for it. There is also quite, like, I did the math. Bullet Club is supposed to be the Gaijin's faction to defend Gaijin's at all costs from the fact that they've been screwed over by New Japan so many times, and there's now more Japanese wrestlers in Bullet Club than there is Gaijin. Of course. So, yeah. I was also confused by this, because they just filmed a sort of, like, junior weight um, gap by bringing in Chris Bay. Why the hell did they need show? Yeah, but I'm not sure how far Chris Bay is going to get as far as in Japan is concerned. Unless they bring him over for the um, Best of Super Juniors. It's based on what storyline I managed to glean. How the hell did he not leave with Suzuki Gun? That's the point. That's the bit that makes sense to me. Is like, surely Desperado takes him under his wing. Oh, that's, New Japan, that's, you're that's, weird. That's surely what you do, isn't it? Despy's a made man in Suzuki Gun these days. He can pick and choose people, can't he? Isn't so, it Togo part of the booking team now? Won't surprise rumb- me. You only need the help. <laughs> I've heard rumblings that maybe he's just taken an interest in Shaw and wants to mentor him himself. Well, that's reasonable, and I won't want anyone else to mentor Shaw because I think Shaw's an awesome prospect, and I think um, Dick Togo is a perfect person to look after him. However, you can do that from afar. Yeah. Without like just making things seem, I mean, Ben Spindler was talking to us on the seventh anniversary show last week and saying, "Can they just get rid of Bullet Club? They've been doing so long now. <laughs> it all seems to be so over and finished." I, I used like, to like Bullet Club. I mean, I still, I still do to a degree. It's just there are different parts of Bullet Club. There's the bits you like and the bits that you sort of there. Just like, why are you here again? Yes. It's like, remember when the only person you used to think about that way was Born Soldier? Yes. And now now you're looking at it like, right, they don't need to be there, they don't need to be there, they don't need to be there, they're only there as part of a panicked story, they don't need to be there. Yeah, it's just like, you could get rid of the, the, the House of Torture or whatever they're called, and it would make no difference. Bullet Club would actually be cooler. <laughs> <laughs> you, know, you know what else was cool? What's that? Seeing Shooter Yano back. Yeah, this was this was the next matchup. And th- this was, you know, on one side, we got the most violent player, the brawler, Toriano, who Chiefs Owens has been trying to get out of Toriano for months now. On the other hand, it's Toriano and Chase Owens who have wrestled each other four billion times in the last six months. And secondly, it's Chase Owens. Um, and also, this was 28 minutes and three seconds long. I didn't hate this. 
I honestly saw the runtime and thought I was going to hate this, but I didn't hate it. Apart from the obvious J stuff, you know, waves hands, but yeah. yeah um, but the actual like wrestling content of it, I didn't hate it. It just went on for far too long. This was a twenty-eight minute plunder match, which not even shindies do. Like, <laughs> plunder matches no, are usually kept to like twenty minutes at the most because you can't really keep them going on that long. You run out of things to hit people with. There's also the realism factor of the fact this is supposed to be like a, a death match and no DQ match, so I quit match and. Theoretically, if you're hitting each other with your hardest stuff for as long as you possibly can, then that shouldn't last that long. Especially the way it ended, because the first thing that springs to mind is, well, why didn't you do that 15 minutes ago? The end of the finish was Tariano threatening to stab Chase Owen's eye with a pair of scissors, which is an angle they took from Tully Blanchard and Dusty Rhodes, I think. Yeah, uh, Kevin, English commentary reference. Uh... Yeah. Yeah, which is which is great, and it's it's a nice callback. One thing, or another, a former Texas Heavyweight Champion and current Texas Heavyweight Champion. That's that's all cool. But the thing that props into my head is why didn't you do that when like fifteen minutes ago? <laughs> but I, you know, I'm just glad they upped the ante there because if Owens had quit because Yano was going to cut his hair, I'd have been laughing my way out of the bloody stream and not bothering with the second show. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it was it was nice to see them both do something serious. And not yuck it up, which would have been the easy thing to do. Um, but it depends on where they go with Toriano. And are we going to get most violent player Toriano from now on? Which is uh, not necessarily a bad thing. However, kind of like mucks up chaos a bit, as they're supposed to be the goody good guys again at the moment. <laughs> I'd love to see it be like Shootiano's back. Because he, he was also blonde as the shooter, so it's just like, oh, you think this is a joke title? Guess what? You're going to get submitted in like two seconds because I'm the ultimate amateur wrestler. <laughs> or he just starts attacking people with curry powder. I can't decide which I'd rather see. Yeah. Okay, we'll move on to the semi-main event. Jeff Cobb defeats Kazuchika Ricardo. It took him how many bloody times? Uh, um, 27 uh... minutes and 41 seconds. I mean... The cage match guys kind of liked it. They gave it seven seven nineteen. Melts is clearly on something. Four and three quarter stars. Uh, it won. Anything with Kazuchika Ricardo is never going to be awful. And Jeff Cobb has enough natural talent to make this work. However, it was long, really long. On which for a Smash Mouth wrestler like Cobb, when you're just long. I mean, are you thinking back to Steve Williams? Is the obvious like heir apparent to him? And all Japan would ever book Steve Williams and anything lasted longer than 15 minutes. You know, because, you know, it, it was a smash mouth wrestler and that's what Cobb's supposed to be. This has gone on far too cerebral for my tastes. I just look at this and I'm thinking, who does this benefit? It took Cobb nearly half an hour to beat Okada. Okada can't beat Cobb. Nobody, nobody won here. Not even we won watching it because that's 27 minutes and 41 seconds of my life I'm not getting back. And 18 minutes of that was the same match I watched on the last time we reviewed a New Japan show. Like, I 
I don't know what the point of this match was. No, it just like what they've wrestled each other a bunch of times, and it's never been. It's never been awful. It's never been great. They haven't got the spark that say Cobb. I mean, I've had Cobb watch Cobb do great matches, and he's done great matches with other people, especially in his babyface run. Um, and I don't think he's been evil in the sense of just because he's a heel is useless. He's not. He's actually quite good. But he just it's just doesn't have a spark with Okada because they've both yeah. got different styles that don't mesh well. No, so just it's just. It's just long-winded. It could have been done to be 15 minutes long and still have Cobb win. And it would have done him some good because it would actually put him over a card. You know, I've figured it out. I know how to beat him now. That makes him dangerous. But it doesn't look like he's figured him out. It looks like he got lucky. Just, he just, wore him out. A, just because you're in the same faction as Will Ospreay doesn't mean you have to steal his style of taking the piss with everything. No, True. He, he pulled a corker this week as he started to pick an argument with Kenny Omega. <laughs> uh, it's probably a work, but just watching Omega bury him was so funny. Yes. And the fact he put Roman Reigns over Osprey as well. Just, oh, the double burn. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah. <laughs> No, Not it's... only does Omega think you're shit, he thinks the person that's supposed to be his mortal enemy in the other company is better than you as well. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. Yeah. No, it's... um. Oh, dear. Anywho, Jeff Cobb. It was all right. <laughs> Could have been better. Probably far too long. Yeah. Let's get to the main event. Hiroshi Tanahashi defeated Kota Ibushi 17 minutes and 47 seconds. In another match that wasn't terrible. And I ain't saying that because it's these two. But I've watched these two wrestle far too often. This should be a break glass in case of emergency kind of match. There is no emergency. And, you know, the, this isn't that bad, but it's reeks of desperation booking. You can't have Ibushi win because he's just come back from, like, serious illness. Um, it it was the right length, but I just wasn't interested. And I don't hate to say it because it's Ibushi and Tanahashi, the two legends, but I just was not interested in this match. It showed no... It just didn't click with me at all. I don't know why. I, and think, I think it's probably because I've just watched had... myself to it too many times. I think this is where I had the benefit of not watching this as often because mm. I haven't seen the infinite number of reruns so I quite enjoyed this. Like, I don't see the point in it at all. It felt like a very token first defense, but. Yeah, I it's mean, it's. Fun, like, it? You know, Abushi ain't winning because they just put it on Tana. And it's like, I can understand why you want the US Championship in Japan because it's been away for a long time. Moxley's had it, and it, Moxley's run was probably the best run that title's had. And you want it on Tanner because it's a safe pair of hands. And that's fine. I understand it. And I understand you've got to transition it. So, you know, Arch is the perfect guy to do that with. Former champion makes sense. That's great. All of that makes sense up to a point. But why Ibushi on the first defense? Why not an American? Why not Chase Owens, for crying out loud? I'm not particularly a fan of his personal level. But why not someone you know you can beat and make it look realistic? Two Japanese wrestlers wrestling for a title. Uh, a, the US title in Japan 
is not a US championship as far as I'm concerned. <laughs> I don't think I'd want to see Tanahashi versus Chase Owens because we just get a rerun of the main event we got on the second show. No, true. And I don't think I could hack two of those matches in a row. No. It would yeah. But anywho, but I could think of better ways of doing it, but that's the way they did it. It's their title and it's their company, so hey, what do I know? But there, I mean, yeah, again, there's nothing wrong with it. It's just I'm I'm kind of sick of seeing them wrestle each other. It's kind of the it's the same as the Okada Cobb problem. It's just like, what's the bloody point? Yes, it just doesn't seem to go anywhere. You know, if Ibushi was taking the title up to new heights or something, but again, you've still got the same problem of it's the same four or five guys. They've got burned this year because they've tried new guys in the main event slot and it's only one of them's worked. So, what do you do at that point? It doesn't help <laughs> a lot of their gaijin talent that's over in the States at the moment. Yeah, And some of the true. sort of most popular people are over there as well. Anyway, let's move on to night two of Wrestle Grand Slam. Julia and Siru defeated Momo Watanabe and Saya Kamatina in 11 and 31 seconds, the current uh, Princesses of Stardom. I can't remember the Tag Team Championship. Wonder of Stardom Tag Team Champions. There we go. Um, it's Goddesses, Wonder, were the other one. No, Wonder of Stardom. I can't remember. The Tag Team Champs. They won. Uh, I love Julia. I love Siru. And Momo Watanabe and Kamatina are great too. And this was perfectly fun and acceptable kind of way of opening the show. Um, yeah, I've been a fan of Shiru for a long time before she signed with uh, Stardom, back when she was an independent wrestler for, it was for Diana, um, and for and for Pancras as well. She's double hard, and she's a really great pro wrestler. I was a great man for pro wrestling too. And they're just a fun tag team, and they're great tag team champions, and I like this a lot. What did you think, John? Yeah, I thoroughly enjoyed this. It was a really fun way to open this, the show. I love seeing Shuri in matches, like, her stock has just raised exponentially since the Utami match. Like, even commentary were putting it over. Yeah, yeah. Having Kelly's horrific audio quality issues, but that Zoom fire. And Yes, at least he was honest about it. I'm lagging by about three seconds. <laughs> oh, no, it's working again. But there you go. Yeah, I did no. love that, because every now and then it would just be like, there'd be a robot voice, and you're like, oh, Kevin Kelly's gone again. But he's still trying, God bless him. Commentating on Skype. <laughs> Much as we do here at the True Finish Show. Uh, the first New Japan match on this show was the United Empire, Great Okan and Jeff Cobb. They defeated Kazuchika Okada and Tomoroshi in 12 minutes and 45 seconds. It a perfectly good match. And again, I have no idea why this happened. It just did. Because they want to build Cobb and Ishii for the G1, basically. I suppose so, Not yes. Not Cobb and Ishii, Okan and Ishii. Yeah, that'll kind of like give things some boost. G1 starts soon. We should probably do a preview of G1. We've got plenty of stuff to talk about. Um, we can do the, I don't know, the preview the of G1 next boring week. Boring looking G1 yet. The N1 looks more interesting. I've got to say, it started today. <laughs> I heard one of the results from that. And I was slightly surprised. <laughs> But yeah, this match wasn't really uh, much to write home about. There's not a lot we can say about it. It was perfectly fine. It was acceptable. Okan and Cobb are a really good tag team. They work together really, really well. Okada and Ishii kind of haven't tagged together for a while, so they seemed like it was a back step, so it was a good story to tell. And kind of gets the younger guys over, rather the established stars are not going to lose anything by losing, so it was fine. 
Orkan um, getting a win. I was very shocked. Sorry? Orkan finally getting a win again when I can actually see it made me happy. <laughs> oh, yeah, he tends to win on the smaller cards, but not on the big ones. Uh, that better hey. change now. They need new blood in like the title pictures, and Orkan is basically a license to print money. Yes, I think so. I think he's probably a, a long-term good bet for the main event. Because he does as he's really told. Awesome. He's really good at it. If you look at like, the Twitter following for Great Orkan, it, it's like Master Wato levels, only, you know, they're supporting someone actually worth it. <laughs> All right, then. Should we move on to the first title match of the evening? Another Which repeat. is El Desperado and Yoshibi Kanemura. They defeated... The tag team, junior heavyweight tag team champions, El Fantasma and Taiji Shimori. 20 minutes and 28 seconds. A really good match. No one else seemed to like it. I did. I thought it was really cool. Because Ishimori and Fantasma weren't anywhere near as annoying as they normally are. And this told a cracking story of Desperado and Kanemaru figuring out how to beat uh, the cutest tag team in Bullet Club. And it made sense, and I like the story and the storytelling of it. And Desperado selling his hand at the end was ace because they managed to find the loaded boot of Phantasmo and floor him with it. And Phantasmo sold really well for it. This was a bit of a kind of comedy match, a bit of a detective story in the, the on the side of Desperado and Kanemaru. But it just it just made everything sense. The crafty veterans figured out the less crafty younger people. What's your thoughts on this one, John? I enjoyed it and I liked the story they were telling, but I knew the result a mile off because if Shimari's heading to the US. Like, well, yeah, that is the uh, other trouble is they are kind of like telegraphing storylines by doing this on a regular basis. Because it's like once GCW announced they had Ishimari on the show, I'm like, right, he's probably not winning then. And no. lo and behold, I was right. But it was at least good to see them lose in a fun match. And you've seen Kanemaru be the most energetic I've seen him in months. You see, I think the rest has done him good. <laughs> he was like diving all over the shop. Like the heroic one. It was like, what the hell is this? But it also plays into the fact that Kanemaru always beats Ishimori. He always finds a way of figuring out how to beat Ishimori. Yeah, that, that yeah. story is still going. <laughs> Ishimori's, I think, won two matches against Kanemaru lifetime. And I don't think he's won any championship matches. So, yeah. And it's a story they've been telling for Noah. They've literally been telling this telling the story for 15 years. And he can't figure out Kanemaru. And that's ace. That's just great storytelling. All right, then. Move on to the six well, the three-way tie WGP tag team title match between Dangerous Techers, the Chaos team of Roki Goto and Yoshihashi, and Los Agnarables de Japón, Sonada and Tetsuya Nato. 26 minutes and 43 seconds. Actually a pretty good match. I know I don't normally like these things, but it was entertaining. It kept things moving. And all three of these teams are probably the best three fast-break offense teams in wrestling today. Sorry, Young Bucks, but you ain't as good as these guys when it comes to double-team offense, I don't think. And especially at heavyweight level as well. These guys were absolutely amazing. And you've got to kind of figure out like what god want to do when they come back because they've got some excellent teams to go through to get to dangerous techers and they promised they'd never wrestle each other again but i think that's probably likely come world tag league because um tower uh, <laughs> god 
are both in G1 Climax, which means they'll be ready for World Tag League and be in Japan for that. So we'll see what happens, I guess. I'm glad you enjoyed this because I can't remember it. You can't remember it at all. Don't no. you remember the, don't you remember the best bit? Where Goto started choking Tai Chi, and then Hashiyashi got in and started choking Tai Chi as well at the same time. I remember so that. Got in and started choking Tai Chi, and NATO started choking, choking tai, tai Chi. I remember the chokes. I remember Sonata spending an infinitely long time trying to apply the skull end to Yoshi Hashi. I think it yeah, was. Yeah, that wasn't that was a neat little story. Yoshi Hashi has Sonata's number when it comes to the skull end. But other than that, I just, I glazed over for so much of this match. I thought it was really fun. I was really into it. I wish I could comment more, but I genuinely cannot remember much of it. Well, there we go. <laughs> <laughs> but no, I thought it was really good. I think you should go watch this match again. Not you, just generally. People should watch this match. It was fun. Um, but we'll move on. As you don't know anything, I can't remember anything about it. And we've got another card to talk about today. Uh, the IWGP Junior Heavyweight Championship match. Robbie Eagles, in what would widely be considered a massive upset, defeated Hiromu Takahashi in 24 minutes and 7 seconds. As the former champion could not get the job done against the Chaos member. This was an intriguing story. I really enjoyed it. It was kind of old-school New Japan Junior Heavyweight storytelling. It wasn't big and aerial. It was much more cerebral than that, and it ended up with an intriguing finish and a call-out, which we'll talk about in a second, but let's talk about the match itself. John, what was your thoughts on this? Yeah, I honestly enjoyed this. I sort of went into it thinking, right, here we go, Takahashi Rain number whatever, and then Eagles pulled out the win, and I was like, well, shit. Is this New <laughs> Japan taking a chance on someone and actually going through with it? What the hell is this? And yeah, as you said, it told a great story. It was a very different type of fight. And it kind of reminded me of Takahashi's um, G1 run, where he was where he was trying different things to beat different people. The New Japan Cup run, you mean? Was it New Japan Cup? Sorry, yeah. Because yeah. yeah. G1's coming up and they get tournaments. But yeah, when you're seeing them all, like seeing him pull out different things for different opponents, because the usual stuff doesn't work. And it's just nice to see, like, variety in a junior match again. Yeah, I completely agree. It just made so much sense. And this was one of those things that just kind of just swung together well, and I really enjoyed it. And I think people will really see this as a bit of a mini classic down the line. Um, then, of course, the call-out came from Desperado, who, interestingly, put his newly won IWGP Tag Team Championships on the line against the IWGP Heavyweight Championship as extra uh, juice for Desperado to get the title shot. The idea being, if Robbie Eagles beats uh, Desperado, then he and Tiger Mask become the new IWGP Junior Heavyweight Tag Team Champions. If Desperado beats Robbie Eagles, obviously he becomes IWGP Junior Heavyweight Champion, which hasn't been done in New Japan for a long while, and I think this is an intriguing match. I'm not sure if they'll let the championships change hands on that kind of format because it's a bit un-New Japan-like. It's a bit ooh for them. But I think it's nice to see them trying something disparate. But I think Despy might be in for another run to get to the big match with Hiromu at Wrestle Kingdom because of all the moneymakers New Japan have as junior heavyweight championships, Desperado and Hiromu, after their two set twos this year, are certainly the guys to go for, I think. 
I feel like I'd prefer it the other way around, though, because then that would mean Desperado is going to take the belt off Takahashi and not the other way around. Mm, yes, I suppose so. And you've got a couple of big events between now and Wrestle Kingdom to be able to get it done, but we're kind of in the downward slide to Wrestle Kingdom season, so they've got to line things up now. Mm. So we'll see. But yes, uh, it was great. Uh, speaking of not so great, <laughs> uh. the main event, Shingo Takagi successfully defends the IWGP Heavyweight Championship of the World against Evil with Dick Togo and Show and uh, the Tokyo Pimp there. Yeah, you drove in th- 30 minutes. <sighs> 30 minutes and 20 seconds. A match that wasn't the worst thing Evil's done in the last two years. It was probably the best match Evil's had in the last two years. But when you the guys at Cage Match give it 4.47, you know it's not actually any good. Way to it establish was. the House of Torture as a bunch of useless nobodies. Yeah, that's, yeah. that's the thing. Four of us cannot get the job done against this one man. <laughs> What was the point we, of we this? We recruited match? this new guy who who went into depth research to try and figure out how to beat Shingo Takagi, and he couldn't help us. <laughs> what was the point of this match? That, there was no point, really, other than to waste half an hour and put bums in seats, but it didn't even do a very good job of that. No. Like, can, can they give Shingo a proper opponent, please? They like, haven't got any. Except for Okada. Like, I Nate Okada, because want... he's faction locked. Let's have a look at this. Let's look at the roll color potential challenges. The obvious one they're holding off is Osprey, which no one wants to watch. The You could go with Cobb, I suppose, and I suppose that'll be the next one, because he beat Okada. That's actually viable. I'd want to see that. Yeah, I'd love to see another match between those two, because they get each other. They know exactly how to put on a compelling yeah. stuff, like match. Shingo and Ishii would be great, but Ishii's kind of dropped off a bit as of late, as far as wins and losses is concerned, so he's not really in the picture. I'd love Osprey, to see Goto. Uh, sorry? I'd love to see Goto. Give me Takagi Goto. Yes, Goto would be nice. He's been a former champion. You could get him into the into lineup. Um, who else is there? Ibushi, obviously, but they probably want to save that for a bit later down the line. He's got the G1 coming up. Tanahashi doesn't really need it. He's got his own title to worry about. Jay White is the obvious thing, but he's got his own championship to worry about, and he's stuck in Japan. Juice Robinson would be actually quite interesting. I'd like to see that match, but he's stuck in the States as well. Um, so, yeah, that's where we're at. There's just nothing. <laughs> They're just running through the same list of guys because that's all they've got. Yeah. It's, like... and it, it's just... It, and it's not... I don't think it's Evil's fault, and this was just terrible booking. Mm. And but obviously you don't want Evil winning the championship, so don't don't devise his new faction now. Give him his new faction at G1 climax and let him win some matches with it. Whereas you know you're not going to put the title on him today, so don't ruin this new faction sub faction or whatever it is aura before it's even started because they all look why, like minties. This is why Cyberfight is so successful at the moment because they've got multiple companies they can dip into to keep things fresh and exciting because when you run the gamut of DDT guys you can be like all right well let him have let's have him fight Noah guys whereas with New Japan all they can fight is New Japan guys for the most part because they can't get many people into the country 
So you just sort of like, well, what the hell are we going to do with our big champion on our big shows? Oh, let's have him fight him again. Don't bring him down. Let's it's. And there is also variety. Yeah, as we've discussed with the with the the G one stuff as well, is they they don't have the luxury anymore of bringing in guests from other companies because of the way that streaming rights work. It's Back like, in the day, yeah. oh, we're stuck. Let's get someone from all Japan. Ah, uh, yeah, but they're on Gaiora TV and we're on Asho TV, and Gaiora TV won't have the rights to that guy. So you're stuck. <laughs> it's, that. it's like we've got the forbidden door situation but that only works in the states because no travel's really allowed at the moment no that's it you could get probably a couple of guys but you can't screw you can't get um john moxley again because AEW need him for tv so he can't take a month off to go to japan which essentially is now two months because he has to quarantine on the way in um <laughs> God, imagine so, if they brought Orange Cassidy over for the G1. Can you I want the best of Super Juniors. I think he'd be really good there. Could you just imagine <laughs> what a would be if AEW stars started appearing in like the tournaments? It would be so cool. It would. Imagine. It'd be awesome. They just send Especially if you've got over. so many people who've got note to do. Like Brian Cage apparently has been moaning this week. He's got not on TV at the moment and he's got nothing to do. He'd be perfect for the G1. Yeah. Eddie yeah. Kingston, Miro, bloody. There are so many choices. Yeah. Like, that you could just send over there for a little bit, get some appeal on like foreign TV, and you're just like, oh, hey, look what our guys can do. And you know, AEW yeah. would jump at the chance to do that if travel permitted it. That's it. Apparently, this was a true story that Daniel Bryan was offered the opportunity to go work for G1 if he re signed with WWE. That's how desperate they were to keep him. <laughs> I'm not convinced, but there we go. Um, but yeah. Exactly, so. yeah. Screw it, you might have just got him there, but sent Brian Danielson over. <laughs> what he wants. Can yeah. have at it. Yeah. That's oh, it. Go to card. It Brian Danielson. Yeah. I'm breaking my monitor. Just fucking <laughs> Oh well, you know, I don't know. At this rate, we're we're going with some intriguing stuff happening. Um oh yeah, the, the, my favorite thing from this morning was a guy who believed that people who work for WWE should never talk to anyone who works for AEW ever again. They should be fired for being traitors. Oh, God. Uh, best hope that they don't find out about the like the married people and the... the oh, yes. It's like, oh, you'd... I don't get people like that anymore. It's like the internet ruined kayfabe. Vince McMahon ruined kayfabe in the 90s. It's like, you, you don't need to cling to this notion that People and rival companies hate each other because they don't. No. Like, most of them probably go for a beer together when they're in the same circles. Like, spoiler alert, Adam Cole jumped ship, but he's still continuously putting over, like, Xavier Woods and Kofi Kingston and all that because they're all friends. It's like, believe it or not, friendships and social relationships tend to take place over fictional storytelling. Like, I don't know if you know how the world works. It must be very limited in that viewpoint you seem to have well even even on like smackdown last night uh the it was biggie and seth rollins were cutting promos 
And Seth Rollins pointed to the guy in the CM Punk t-shirt who was sat in the front row and told him he sucked. But then Big E <laughs> went, actually, I think you're quite cool. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's like, we've we've evolved past this petty tribalism, or at least we would do if Twitter would get its shit together for more than two seconds. Well, here we are. <sighs> Anywho, let us move on to this quite important card, which was AW All Out, which, which happened uh, last Sunday night. Uh, we are going back a week. I did promise John that we could do this show on the grounds that I made him watch two New Japan shows. Which I think so was good. This was so good. It was. This was absolutely excellent and easily the best paper view I've seen all year. Um, I opened with Miro and Eddie Kingston having a banger. 30 minutes and 22 seconds. Can't say how good this was. This was absolutely awesome. I've not been a big fan of Miro, he's not my kind of wrestler. But this is where he earned his paycheck, as far as I was concerned. And Eddie Kingston made him look like a million dollars. This was outstanding work. This was just pure King's Road for like 13 minutes. Yes, this was all of Eddie Kingston's Kawada fantasies coming to true at once. Yeah, this this was just classic, very heavy-hitting Japanese style. Both guys sold the shit out of each other. It was incredible. Like, Eddie Kingston is one of the top-tier, like, selling physicality wrestlers out there. Like, no one will make you believe quite like Eddie Kingston. No. And you had a whole underlining underlying storyline of um, Orthodox Christianity versus Catholicism, which was just ace. <laughs> Redeem these nuts. <laughs> like... Only Eddie Kingston could make these nuts relevant again. That's this is it. Like you might hate AEW, but they're winning in every physical way possible here. And storylines as well. Storylines, jokes, wrestlers. It's just oh. For those of you who don't know, of course, Miro, who is from Bulgaria, is it Bulgaria? Yeah. Yeah, Bulgaria will be an Orthodox Christian because Orthodox Christianity and the Coptic Church remained the dominant church throughout the Eastern European sector all the way up to Russia. In fact, the Tsars of Russia were named the Tsars of Russia because they were Caesar. That's what the Russification of Caesar is. And the final Tsars of Russia believed they were the third fall of Rome because, well, the third home of Rome, because obviously there was Rome and then there was Byzantium, and finally, the last home of the Orthodox Church would be Russia. And so, therefore, the Roman Empire actually fell in 1918. Anywho, <laughs> moving on. Uh, the next matchup was John Moxley for Satoshi Kojima. Speaking of hard hitting, strong style slash King's Road wrestling, this was about it. 11 minutes and 52 seconds of an absolute thriller, and Kojima is still one of the best wrestlers in the world. I don't care how old he is. He made some of the guys on the AW roster look like they were going in slow motion. This was outstanding work. What was your thoughts on this, John? Yeah, I love seeing Kojima having this like rebrand, like rebound almost over the past couple of years. It's just everyone's remembered how damn good he is and they're just letting him be him. And it's so goddamn fun to watch. Moxley's having the time of his life. Kojima's having the time of his life. And they're both just beating the shit out of each other for nearly 12 minutes. And it's fun as hell. I think, to be honest, I don't think Kojima ever lost a step. Because you look back to about 2013 when he had his NWA Heavyweight Championship run. 
and it was the uh, the Bruce era of the NWA before the current era of the NWA. He had some corkers with not very good opposition, you know. And as NWA champion, he really shot. And then he kind of shuffled himself back down the card and didn't really shine intentionally to get other people over. And then break glass in case of emergency. Well, we're in the shit now. We need you back. And all of a sudden, he's had one of the most productive 12 months of any wrestler in the world. It's like when they brought him back to fight Kenta and you just like... Yeah. Your Jima versus Kenta? You think about it then you're like, that is going to be one of the greatest matches ever. And lo and behold, it turned out to be incredible. And since then, Kojima's basically taken the ball and ran with it all over the world, kicking ass. Yeah. And then, of course, the lights went out. And Kozi Ninare hit. And Minoru Suzuki walked the aisle with his hands in a pocket and a smile on his face. And the crowd went crazy. I was and I honestly watched that video so many times this week. <laughs> I was honestly hoping they just do like do the spot from Wrestle Kingdom again, where he just gets on the air, like he's on the stage and he's just undressing in the most sadistic manner and just walks down and <laughs> punches Moxley in the face. I just I wanted him to stamp his tracksuit bottoms off because this is a moment that just requires you not to wear trousers. <laughs> it was but, yeah. And they went at it, and they made the match for Rampage this week, which was an, was another corker as well, even though it got cut down to seven minutes. They and they missed the I know. Well, that's that set up an entirely different angle. Now, Lance Archer, along with Jake Roberts, are demanding a tag team match between John Moxley and Eddie Kingston uh, with Minoru Suzuki. And that'll happen on next week, because they fluffed an intro. They turned it into an angle. It's like, and people were complaining about this. It's like, oh, no one wants that tag match. It's like everyone with a brain wants that tag match. Well, you see, here's the thing. As I've discovered this week, there is a lot of hate for John Moxley on the internet, and I don't know why. Um, and a lot of people hated this matchup. Now, there's a friend of mine uh, on Twitter, we follow which is called Sufas, uh, she's Australian, and she doesn't like it because it's not the style of wrestling she was brought up on. She doesn't like big hit strong style matches which is fine and she said it's not my cup of tea and that's the way you're supposed to react to it i like other stuff on aw but i don't like this that's fine that's how you express your opinion not saying it's just trash because it's not it's some of the best wrestling i've ever seen because it's just the guys i were brought up on you know this is this Hmm. is like uh 80s uh mid-south or it's 80s carolina's wrestling jim crockett promotions wrestling it's British heavyweight wrestling of the 1970s. It's Giant A. Stacks and Kendo Nagasaki. You know, it's that style of wrestling. I was brought up on that style of wrestling, so of course I'm going to love it. But, yeah, I can understand why people don't like it, but just to say it's trash when it's clearly not, it's just insane. Yeah, like, all power to you. Have your opinions and the things you don't like, but you can't write off a lot of people's dream match just because you don't like it. Like, that's... Yeah, the headbutt was a topic of conversation from Rampage as well. Because it was like, well, it's a head, head-to-head headbutt, and people were saying, it's just dangerous. And it's like, well, no, these two are perfectly fine. Yes, he did screw up the finish of that match, which is a reason why Suzuki needed seven stitches. But again, it's, it's wrestling. <laughs> That's it. You, know? you, can, you can get hurt on any move in wrestling. It's like, oh, no, they did a headbutt that they've done countless times before that just happened to go wrong because they got the slight angle wrong. It's like, 
we we all watch wrestling. We've all seen injuries. We're not we're not like unaware of the fact people get hurt. Mm. It's like John Cena wrestled a match with a broken nose before. Like, come on, we've all seen it. Yeah. And Suzuki's used to taking heavy knocks. He was in bloody pancreas for Christ's sake. It's like Suzuki probably enjoyed the match more because he needed stitches. <laughs> Anywho, let's just move on to the next match. It was for the women's championship of AEW. Dr. Britt Breaker, accompanied with Jamie Hayt and Rebel, was re- defeated Chris Statlander, who was accompanied by Orange Cassidy in 11 minutes and 35 seconds. This was fun. This was just fun. 7.18 from the cage match guys and four from Meltzer. That's you know, high praise for him from him. I mean, I don't really put an awful lot of stock in his numbers because the next match is just insanely overrated. However, <laughs> this oh, was really, this. really good. And this was probably the best women's match on North American TV I've seen this year or North American pay-per-view I've seen. I really like Britt Baker. And I think Rebel is an excellent heater. I think Jamie Hayer brings an awful lot to the equation. But Statland is outstanding. And I think she will be champion one day. She doesn't want to be that now because you don't want to go with that kind of heat from Baker. But this was great. Yeah, this was one of the best like women's titles matches has been on TV since like Perazzo Thunder Rosa. It's like they just get each other. It's like Baker is one of the ultimate heat gaining villains there is, and Statlander worked around that perfectly. The clip of Orange Cassidy giving her a pep talk has gone viral because holy shit, Orange Cassidy lost his temper to get her to get back in there. And it's just like, that's how much was riding on this match. You've just got that much storytelling, that much personality and that much great wrestling condensed into like 12 minutes. It's great. Who would have thought that Rebel, who, let's be honest, wasn't a particularly great impact knockout. And I think she'll admit that would be such a good heater as a heel. Yeah, she's like perfect for just either getting hit or causing other people to get hit. It's just the whole crutch story was hilarious. Yeah, she she really understands story well. And I don't think even when she was an impact, the there was a requirement for ring ring talent to be over and above the standard of most North American women's wrestling promotions. And I don't think she was good enough. I'll be blunt. She just looked in slow motion compared to the other women on the roster. And she got hired because she looks good in a bikini, let's be honest. And mm. as she's grown older, she's managed to get a great wrestling IQ. She still isn't particularly gifted as a pro wrestler, but she knows how to use what she's got. And considering the fact she got a job as a hairdresser and a makeup artist and got to be like the main heater for one of the biggest heel draws they have is amazing. Right, shall we move on? To my favourite match of the night. I probably, mm, I don't think it was mine. I think, mm, looking at this, I think possibly the main event kind of, mm, no, I think the women's match actually kind of pimped this, but I prefer women's wrestling to men's wrestling, so that's probably the reason why. Leecher Brothers, Pentarel, Zero, Miedo, and Ray Phoenix, along with Alex Abrahantes, defeated the Young Bucks, Matt and Nick Jackson, with Brandon Cutler in 22 minutes and four seconds. In a cage, thundered. Well, what's, what's the the title of it? it would be uh, um, oh, tornado tag team cage match, which was outstanding, and the effort both these teams put on was phenomenal, and it was 
an incredible cage match. It was one of the best cage matches I've ever seen. Um, but I still kind of preferred Britt Baker and Gustafsson because it's my kind of thing. Um, but that's personal taste. So, John, what's your thoughts on this one? Because it was amazing. Yeah, this was incredible. Like, both teams worked their asses off. They used the cage properly. They used each other's tag partners properly. There were so many stories and throwbacks to previous matches. We had blood. We had tax. We had just absolute <laughs> madness. It was incredible. And it was the perfect place for, like, the young bucks to get dethroned. Like... You've just made Penta and Phoenix the ultimate team because they A, survived a steel cage tornado tag match without having to escape the cage. They had their masks torn, their faces cut up, both got hit with tacks. Like, people will complain, oh, there was that many false finishes and blah, 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 blah. It's, it, do you know who these teams are? <laughs> that comes with the territory and... Me and Meltzer don't get on very well, but I actually do agree with the rating this one got because it was just that good. They fit so much into 22 minutes. And it told more of a story than any New Japan main event has, than Coburn Okada did, than Yano and Chase did, in less time. Mm. Like, this is the other thing that this show has that New Japan doesn't. This has brevity. The yes. big matches will either condense what they need to so you don't get bored, or they will run slightly longer. That cage match is the longest match on the card. Yeah. And it kind of needed that because it's a cage match and you need to build up the violence in it. Like the title matches were all 20 minutes or in the women's case 12 but again they all did what they needed to do there's no point dragging things out if you don't need to no that's it and it, it's it's like you're saying i mean a bit of, it's unfair because all out is their biggest show of the year it's their wrestlemania essentially going up against grand slam which is kind of like the third biggest show of the year for new japan but it was supposed to be perceived as bigger than what it was but it, it just wasn't. <laughs> it's just you know. a general approach to things. It's like, hell, even DDT didn't... Like you could claim, oh, it's a cultural difference. But no, DDT don't do things overly long unless it's Super Sasadango Machine giving a PowerPoint presentation. <laughs> it's like New yeah. Japan seemed to have taken the fact that they got really popular because... Well, they got a newfound popularity because of the Omega Okada feud, which all had really long matches by the G1 match. And they seem to think that's the recipe for success when it isn't. So now every New Japan match goes long because they want to A, fill time because they can't have as many wrestlers, and B, fill time again because they don't have that many wrestlers available to them that they want to push to a main card level. Yeah. And it's it shows so badly when you compare it to another show that has almost the exact same runtime and packs so much more in. Yeah, I mean, there are advantages of the fact that in the States, the COVID restrictions are different. But equally, the matches on this card mattered. Even stuff that didn't really matter mattered. Like the next match is the, the Casino Battle Royal, which was supposed to be on the pre-show. And thankfully, they put it on the main show because that could have just like 
bury their entire women's division in one go. But it was really good, and people on it did get like exposure that they should have done. Not particularly keen on the Casino Battle Royal format because it does mean that you're spreading the weight awfully thin and trying to remember all these things that have happened with all of these people. But having said that, it had a memorable debut in Ruby Soho as the Joker in the Casino Battle Royal, which gave her a due, and she got the massive pop she deserved. And it was an incredibly emotional moment for me. Um, and the match was fine. There was nothing wrong with it, and it's, it's a Battle Royal. <laughs> you know, it's, it's, it is what it is, and it was, it was fine. And the showdown between Rosa and Ruby Soho sets up loads of stuff. You could have a heel turn for Thunder Rosa. You could have... Uh, all sorts of things happening with Ruby Soho. There was a cool bunch of stuff happening there, and I really enjoyed that. But the pop for Ruby Soho was excellent, and that was really, really cool to see. Yeah, this is it. They used it to get someone over who would have probably gotten over in any situation, but they were like, right, let's make this extra special. And then, yeah, just a great way to show off your roster again. We saw Lulu Pencil on pay-per-view. Like that, yeah, just... exactly like the number 500 in the PWI that got her own <laughs> cover was in on pay-per-view yes. like that's amazing it was awesome I, it was just great and it was great fun my favorite bit though had to be um Ruby Soho taking the win and then looking up and seeing Bryce Rensburg and going hi Bryce and giving yeah. him a massive book because that to me was it brought us back so many memories of Shikara and the work they put in to make that company work. I said it again on the Twitter this week. Like you look at the amount of personnel that were involved in Shikara and the amount of personnel that were involved in AEW, and they've been given a budget and they know how to make it work. Well, this is the thing: AEW doesn't punish their wrestlers for also being people. No, it's like in it. WWE these days, all you're really allowed to be, unless you're one of a special few, is a character and a merchandise yeah. machine. Whereas with AEW, they let their wrestlers do whatever they want to do, really, as long as it doesn't make them look like assholes. And even then, sometimes they'll still let them do it. Yeah, it, that's it. I think the only problem I had with the Battle Royale match was how early Abaddon went out. Yeah, I mean, well, they've got to do something, haven't they? They're trying to fit... The, that's the thing. They're trying. This could have done, really done to be an half an hour, but they've only got so much time to do anything. It's like Jamie Hayter still gets to look like a badass. Jade Cargill got a whole load of time to just destroy people. Nyla Rose yes. rebuilt her um, annihilatic tendencies. We had the story with Thunder Rosa. We had Anna Jane the Bunny. Yeah. There's just There were so many nice little moments in here that sort of made it better than just a regular battle royale. Yeah. I, I do quite like the format, though, because it, it keeps things moving quicker. Because rather... I suppose so, but I think it's difficult to make people shine. You still got little bits and pieces. I mean, like the really popular tag team of Anna and Taya Conti was back, and you know, all that stuff happened. But it just happened at such a pace that I think it was difficult to kind of focus in on some of it. But I think I think that you, the, we're both right in the sense of yes, you need to keep the pace moving, but B, you've got to give everybody that moment. I just like it because it brings more threat with each sort of load that comes in instead of just one person. Because it's like, oh, if one person turns down, oh, we could all just beat them up and then go back to killing each other. Whereas when it's like suits, 
it brings in multiple people at a time so you know for a fact that they're not just going to get beaten down quickly there is an actual challenge coming yeah yeah. especially when there's a monster among that group and they just tear everyone apart and you're like well of course they did that (laughs) i don't know i just i was like lukewarm on the format when it first appeared but once you see it in action you kind of get why they did it and why it's become such a staple because it's a great way to get a lot of people over very quickly without having to do too much because you can just be like right well you're all going to be in here there's a title shot on the line do what you want as long as like x happens y happens yeah make yourselves look good there we are Right then, let's move on to the next match. Chris Jericho defeated MJF in her retirement match, the final fight, 19 minutes and 36 seconds. If Jericho lost, he would have to leave wrestling in AEW forever. Um, And this was actually much better than I thought it was going to be. I kind of skipped it, I'll be honest. I watched everything else, and I was like, well, I've watched Jericho wrestle for 30-odd years now. He's not going to do anything different. And to be fair to him, he was. He did something different than he'd been doing recently, which was not try too hard. And that made everything better because as of late in the last couple of years, I kind of got bored of him because he was just trying far too much for his body would allow. And now he's kind of got the balance just perfectly right and told the story he needed to tell in this particular match. MJF is a very good heel and that's what just kept the momentum of this match going. It's been an intriguing story to tell. Some would argue it's gone on for far too long, but I think it worked out in the end and they can move on to other things. What's your thoughts on this, John? Yeah, I was surprised by how good this was, especially considering it started off as a hardcore brawl and Jericho throwing a full-on, like, standy thing at bloody MJF's head. I was Mm. kind of like, I'm hoping that's a prop, otherwise you've probably just given him permanent brain damage. Yeah. But it it was really compelling. Like, I used to be a massive fan of Chris Jericho, and to a degree I still am, politics aside, and it's... I was expecting to be bored by this just because some of their previous matches have really not clicked. Like the original one they had when MGF joined the the Inner Circle, I wasn't particularly high on. It was very plodding and very methodical. This was so much different. There was an air of desperation to it. And as you said, Jericho's not trying too hard. It's really competitive. Like, really interesting to watch. And I even will forgive the fake-out ending because it makes perfect sense in a match like this. I will say, Aubrey Edwards was the perfect referee to do this with. Because she's so convincing with everything she does. She takes it so seriously that you can imagine her being making the mistake of not seeing the foot. Oh, definitely. It it really... Normally with ref spots, they look dumb as hell. But this one, it looked like he would... It looked believable. Yeah. And the fact that... I like the fact that AEW had the foresight, like, story-wise, to have a second ref out there just because of who was in there. Yeah. It's like, right, it's MJF. He's probably going to do something asshole Right, let's have a secondary ref just on the lookout. I would also say... Paul Turner, Aubrey Edwards, and Bryce Rensburg are the three best referees in wrestling anywhere right now. In my opinion. I don't I know anyone he, better than them three. I think the only one I'd add to the list, because he's quite an obscure one, is Nick Papagiorgio from H2O. 
because he is just the ultimate scumbag ref, and it's yeah, work. But as just as like a straight referee that just does the job properly, those three are excellent. Red Shoes is great, but he doesn't have the authority that those three have. No, refs in New Japan kind of get the shit end of the stick, don't yeah. they? You were yeah, there, pushed around, knocked over, and to make pins. Don't you think you could do anything in here? No. It's Whereas, like, every like time you see them stand up to a wrestler, they just get knocked on their ass. Yeah, Aubrey Edwards has put people on her backside because she's statuesque and tall and she's in charge. You listen to what she says. And that's the important thing. So, yeah. Anywho, but yes, I think Jericho and MJF was fine. I think it was pretty good, actually. And yeah, I think it was the best mountain Jericho's had and he's kind of revived in this run because he's had to do something different and I think that's really important so then move on to Jericho taking light tubes though (laughs) they might not have even been real light tubes but I don't care that was awesome okay we move on to what's possibly the most anticipated match on this card in Chicago at the now arena CM Punk returns to the ring after the first time in seven years to wrestle Darby Allen um, as we have put it out there many times before, Darby Allen is a ridiculously nice person, and the, for that reason, we're not particularly big fan of him at this particular wrestling show. However, this was the show, this was the match, and this was the thing. And I have to say, CM Punk looked like a guy who had been out of the ring for seven years, but that wasn't by no means a bad thing. He wrestled like a guy who's been out of the ring for seven years, and he gave Allen the the rub that he needed to give him, but still took the win and look convincing doing it. He didn't look like an amateur. He certainly didn't make any mistakes, and he looked like a good wrestler. It was a little bit sloppy, but then punk matches tend to be a little bit sloppy. He's not crisp. He tries to make things look realistic, and I kind of agree with his thought process on that. What was your thoughts on this one? Yeah, as you said, I wish it had been anyone but Darby, but he was the perfect guy for the job, to be honest, because Darby Allen's a human ragdoll. He'll put everything into the matches, and... Yeah, Punk really told a great story here because, as you said, he looked like someone who'd been out of the ring for seven years, but that's probably almost intentional given Punk's dedication to the craft. Yeah, yeah. He made sure this match wasn't all about him. Like, he he got the big win, but he worked for it and he gave Darby every sort of big spot that he could. It was... Really well organised, really well told, and I'm just glad Punk's back. Honestly, I think too. I think I got, wrestling is a better place for the minute. I got so many goosebumps from hearing Cult of Personality again, and just a crowd that are so unbelievably excited. Yeah, like, especially in Chicago. There was a lot of contention that this should have gone last, um, but I don't think it took the wind out of the sails of the crowd, to be honest with you. I think it worked well. I think I think it took a while for Cage and Omega to get people going for the main event, but you know this was this was still very very good. It's kind of Omega's thing at this point. He's supposed to be the anti-crowd guy. Yeah, but it works. It worked really really well, and you know it's a massively important moment in pro wrestling. You know it 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 worked. I mean, what can you say? It was really good. And it, the, the crowd were into it. I think Jim Cornette said if he if he wants to run for mayor of Chicago, then he should do because he'd probably win. <laughs> this um, was, I, I feel like this was in the perfect spot, to be honest. 
Yeah, I'm slightly concerned because Jim Cornette's been really nice towards AEW for the last month. I suppose it's because, uh, I don't know, maybe he's finally realised that, like, variety is allowed in wrestling. Well, I mean, the, he re- they reviewed the, the CM Punk debut, and uh, he said, I wouldn't have done it like that, but they did it better than I would have done. It it's like, <laughs> at the end of the day, can you really argue over the validity of a company if they made the one guy who was decried sacredity in pro wrestling the way CM Punk has? Like, yeah. he left the business because of what it became, and mm. someone found a way to bring him back. Like, I yeah. I don't think you can say they're not a pro wrestling company anymore. <laughs> Because no. they have got what most people claim is the ultimate pro wrestler. Like, yeah. That's that's the power CM Punk has. Like you might not like him, you might think he's overrated, but when it comes to drawing names and showing status, you brought the unbringable man back. And in his first match back, he's already set a crowd on fire. He's put over one of the younger guys and he looks like he's not missed a step without in well, without doing it intentionally. Yeah. I feel like that's one of the biggest wins you can have as a wrestling company. Sure, definitely. Alright then, we move on to someone else making a big comeback and kind of got lost in the shuffle of all of the thing. And I think there would probably more poor pressure on this match in the build up if they didn't have punk. It's kind of amazing, like, you know, Chris Jericho, MJF, really big blood feud that's taken a year to develop. They could have headlined with that, and it would have been fine. CM Punk versus Darby Allen first match back, they could have headlined that, and it would have been fine. And arguably, and I think it got lost in the crunch just because he's been away that long, but Paul White is one of the biggest names in the wrestling industry of the last 30 years. He's had two years off, and he makes his comeback on this show. And it's only because so much other stuff happened on this show that it kind of got lost in the shuffle. I'm not saying it's going to be a great wrestling match. It never was. But, you know, this is pretty huge too. (laughs) And, you know, and it was perfectly fine. It lasted three minutes and 11 seconds because Paul White has had a couple of hip operations and he can't move as well as he used to. And to be honest, he's... I think he probably could lose 50 pounds and he'd be a lot better off and a lot more comfortable and he might get some mobility back. But I don't think he's going to wrestle matches on the regular for them. He's probably just going to do some commentary gigs and then one day somebody's going to wind him up and he's going to have a batch again. And that's fine. And he wrestled QT Marshall, who's an absolute workhorse. Amazing that QT Marshall um, was a wrestling trainer, part-time wrestler a year ago, and all of a sudden he's he's in the semi-main event of shows on major pay-per-views just because he's a good hand. And he's a good character. And he was accompanied by Aaron Solo and Nick Comoroti from the factory. Three minutes, 11 seconds, exactly where it should have been and did the job well. In my opinion. Yeah, I thought it, it handled what it needed to do perfectly. This wasn't so much a Paul White match as it was Paul White coming out to kick a bully's ass for being a dick to Tony Schiavone. And that's exactly how it played out. Like, Marshall obviously did his best to avoid getting an ass-kicking, but at the end of the day, an ass-kicking is what he got, and the fans were into it. Yeah, and it was fine. And it set things up nicely. It was a night palate cleanser, and it stopped people thinking about punk for five minutes. 
And they were into this match as well. Paul White was over in this match. Um, and then we get to the main event. Kenny Omega with Don Callis defeats Christian Cage for the AEW World's Heavyweight Championship. Sorry, World's Championship, I should say. There's not a heavyweight title. 21 minutes, 19 seconds. Um, the guys at Cage can actually give it 8.25. And again, Christian Cage, at his age, should not be having matches like this. And this was exceptional. And a Kenny Omega, you can't really say enough about him. He is the best bout machine. You know, in, in he's had so many matches in this run with so many varied competition. It's his Okada run. Like the, the run Okada had that we compared to Kobayashi and Kawada and Manami Toyota. This is his run and what he's done in exactly the same way. And he's needed to maintain that to keep the company ticking over. And he's done it in an exceptional manner. And this is kind of sums up what AEW is about. Excellent wrestling, minimal storylines, produce the best wrestling you can and the best wrestling matches you can. And that's what's going to sell. And there is nothing wrong with that. In this day and age, it's a difference maker because it's not what the other big companies are doing. And they're doing it very well. And I have no complaints about this match whatsoever. What's your thoughts on this one, John? Yeah, I've got nothing to complain about. We all know my Omega bias. I think he's pretty much the best wrestler in the world, not named John Kasai. And yeah, he really, he's great at working crowds. Like that's one thing that he was never particularly great at in like New Japan. He was a work rate guy over a personality guy. And now that we've suddenly seen all this personality, it's really brought out another sort of side to his matches because he's there as a cocky dickhead. He knows who he is. He knows who he's against. And he's like, he was shook because of obviously losing the impact title. He and all that was reflected in the story. Like it was a great match told really well with some really brutal spots. I will yeah. never not get bored of seeing people stomp tables into people. <laughs> it's like, I'm not going to put you through the table. I'm going to put the table through you. It's like, <laughs> I, I will always pop at that. And as you said, there's not there's nothing to complain about. Like, Impact and AEW have both proven one thing, and that is that Christian Cage could have been a main eventer had, was he given the chance. Like, he was always playing second fiddle to Edge, and now look at him. He was yeah. in the main event of one of the biggest pay-per-views of the year. Yeah. He's a world title holder again. Yeah. And arguably, this one had a bigger impact than the one Edge was main eventing, too. Yeah. There's no knock on Edge. Edge is great, but, you know, it's... Um, More people I was care never... about AEW than they do about WWE now. And the numbers yeah. are really starting to reflect that. Yeah. I mean, I'm not... I was never a big fan of Edge and Christian because they just kind of came along at the end of me watching WWF, but I always knew how talented they was. And I didn't really get how good Christian Cage was until his Impact Wrestling run. And, you know, this is this is really great. And this is really, really cool. And, and then, at the end of the match, Omega uh, beats up Christian Cage and Jungle Boy and Luchasaurus. And I don't know what happened to Marco Stump, but he got launched. <laughs> I don't know what Gallows did to Marco Stump, but he seemed to land about five rows back. Poor boy. Oh, God, um, have you seen the um, Have you seen the gift from the GCW show? 
where Shane Mercer has all the yo-yo and he just throws him about 10 rows back. Like, yo-yo's like 5-2 and he just got <laughs> launched. Like... <laughs> oh, he gets dear. thrown so far from, from a ring over people into the crowd and he still goes about 5-6 rows back. Mercer <laughs> is a monster. Oh dear! Uh, by the way, if you if you are listening to this podcast and like our thoughts, our friends at the Random Wrestling Review have also reviewed All Out. <laughs> they must have done that this week, <laughs> considering the fact they take three weeks in advance. Hmm. Anywho, but there you go. You can listen I to them. They've got more swearing than we have. Oh, loads more swearing. Sam will be talking dick jokes all night. <laughs> <laughs> We had that with the House of Cock Torture, so Yes, that's that's true. I'm I'm we should get I wanna get the random wrestling view guys to record some ridiculous historic Japanese show. Cause they'd just be bewildered by it and I wanna hear what it'd be sound like. But anyway, we'll talk about that another time. Maybe we can persuade them to do it for Christmas. They pick one for us and we pick one for them. <laughs> oh Jesus. <laughs> it'd be like a we'd get like a a WWF house show from Madison Square Garden in 1986 or something ridiculous like that. Anywho, uh, yes, so like we said, Luchasaurus and Jungle Boy and poor Marco Stunt got yeeted into the crowd. Um, and then Adam Cole came out, uh, the newly released Adam Cole, who was free of his WWE shackles, has left NXT and uh, gone straight to AEW. Because he wasn't under contract and didn't have a 90-day no-compete clause, so he's just left. And I'm sure that made Vince McMahon's blood boil, and that makes me happy. I don't so, think it'll have been as quite as hot as the um, the next one, who probably hurt even more. Probably, but, yes, even more so. It just, the, yeah. So, of course, after that... that they, sorry? I love the fact that they kept the um, BTE continuity as well. So everyone was sort of shocked that Adam Cole had come back and we was just like, oh God, he's going to kill them because they killed him. And then it's just like, ah, nah, I'll forgiven. <laughs> <laughs> well, it was the perfect line. Everyone who's important that thinks they can beat me is in another company or they're dead. And then Adam Cole, who in the, the elite storyline was dead up until then. And then he turned heel after having the massive pop that he got. And he super kicked um, Jungle Boy, and they did another beatdown. And Only. they still cheered. Yeah, and they still cheered for him. Only for the cry of the Valkyries to hit. And Brian Danielson, not Daniel Bryan, Brian Danielson, you're going to get your DNA kicked in, Daniel Bryan, Brian Danielson, came down to ringside and made the save. And to rapturous applause, as you would possibly imagine. And they even have that line, you're going to get your you know, kicked in in the music, which has been recently remixed. And there you go. Another 90-day complete clause that didn't get complete because he was out of contract. So they just pops up on TV. They're going to have to sort these contracts out in WWE, surely. <laughs> I just hope John Rock gets his proper, proper dues now. Or AKA Bronson Reed, because he's just become a free agent again. And like, oh, they bungled him so badly. Well, they've bungled so many so badly. It's like, look at Anthony Green and um, 
Anthony Henry. Yeah. And Kurt Stallion and Alex Zane, who are all yes. back on back on the indies, all mm-hmm. already kicking ass again. It's just like you always wonder why WWE and Jake Atlas can't forget Jake Atlas. No, 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 no. Wait, that like, how do they? How do they forget these people? Like they sign them, then they forget about them, and it's just like, why did you ever sign them? Did you just want the indies to not have them anymore? Is this well, it? That's, that's been the joke for years and years and years. Is the the Florida warehouse, but it feels more and more like that. You know, it, I'm not being funny. If you've got Diana Perazzo and you don't do anything with her. And, like, literally go out of your way not to do anything with her and then wonder why she becomes a massive star for another company. You don't know what you're doing. The That's same with about to happen with Ruby Soho as well. Yeah, like exactly. They had the former Heidi Loveless who it killed actually, it around it the world. Hit, sorry, I was going to say, it actually hit double hard for the women because there's less places to get over for the women. There's less spots. So if they get over big, like superstar big, it's an even more of an achievement, you know. And Ruby Soho looks like a superstar. She looks like CM Punk's level superstar when she showed up on AEW. Perazzo is the reason why people watch Impact Wrestling. People can go on about Chris Bay and a bunch of other guys on that show, like Rich Swan and Sammy Callan, all they want. But people watch Impact Wrestling for Deanna Perazzo and Jordan Grace and for The Hive and all of those people, not necessarily their men's wrestling division, heavyweight division, which is boring. It's why I'm glad Trisha Dar is still on the indies. Like, she is one of the best women's wrestlers out there. In fact, she's one of the best wrestlers out there, period. And she is. She's, she's with Ring of Honor, who will use her properly. As with Ali Catch, who turned up on uh, the Rampage tapings this week, too. And um, in, in the non binary news, like, Max the Impaler got signed to ROH. I'm pretty sure that makes them one of the first like non-binary wrestlers to be signed to a major company. And we're seeing all these massive strides for people whilst WWE's cutting people. And in I was really not gonna mention this, but like of all the things to cut from a SmackDown edition yeah. on one of the most important days in American history, you do not put a Selena Vega match. No, you don't. You've been milking this like her tragic story for years, and then you cut her from yes. it. That's... No, that's just not what you do. I'd also point out as well. I had a women's match on SmackDown for like two weeks. It's like people no. joke about AEW's booking of women. What the fuck are WWE doing at the moment? Oh, and it's the same names being repeated. And there's nothing wrong with those names. Bianca Belair and Becky and Charlotte, they're all incredible. But they need other people to wrestle. <laughs> they it's just like do. When, you, when you've got Naomi, Carmella, Liv Morgan, Natalia, and Zelina Vega all making the same comment near enough, week after week, you've kind of done something wrong. Well, you also have the point like Tony Storm comes in as this great saviour of the women's division, has one match, and then they don't use it for seven weeks. It's like they don't know what the hell they're doing at the moment. It's no. like I was I was in Newcastle on Thursday in, in a bar, and they had SmackDown on in the background, and I I saw um, Finn Balor versus Roman Reigns. 
Like that was that was a fun match, but in the build up to that, every time I looked at the TV screen, there was just nothing going on at all. You had the same faces, and that was it. Yeah, that's and it. This is the thing that AEW does so well, because they've got a massive roster, but they use them. Sometimes it's yeah. not on TV. Sometimes it is. But you've got different people getting different opportunities. Like Brian Pillman is attacking MJF. You get women's division contenders all the time. Yeah. Like people get shots, even if you don't necessarily think they need them. Because at the end of the day, why not? Like, well, I mean, this is the thing. Me and Marcus, when we looked at the last Ring of Honor pay-per-view, we said about how progressive the company is, and someone pointed out this morning, every champion they have and every main event they have is black or Latino. They have the most progressive booking and the most progressive roster in professional wrestling in North America, outside of Mexico, where obviously the majority of people are Latino, as you'd expect. But, and that's from a company that is literally a right-wing hellscape. And even they see that representation on their roster matters to their audience, and it's the one way they can build their audience because other companies aren't doing it. And that's that's just, you know, the right thing to do. They're doing it because it's right, because those wrestlers are incredibly talented, you know, and they're getting opportunities there that they're not getting anywhere else. And they're telling good stories. And Ring of Honor is a solid product these days. It's got no slack on it. It's not the best thing you'll ever see. But the stories make sense. The wrestling's really good. It's a good, solid product, which is really what they the only way they survive because they're content producers and everything they have to produce has got to be of good quality. And that's what's great about wrestling at the moment. There is something for you to enjoy somewhere, even if WWE aren't doing the things they're supposed to be doing. It's like they were doing the numbers for um, Dynamite and Raw, and Dynamite is within touching distance of the Raw numbers. And even Jericho was surprised by that, because he said it would have taken four to six months. Now he's thinking it'll take four to six weeks. And if AEW keep going with the trajectory they're on, with the like the amount of effort they're putting into everything, then who knows? Yeah. You might just see the biggest upset in wrestling history. We shall see. But it is, again, there's still holes. You know, there's still holes in the way they market things. The UK strategy isn't best. If they nail North America first, then yes, I give them strong dues. But, you know, it's the same as I always say, like Vince will tell you, you know, WWE isn't a wrestling company. They see themselves as the NFL, NASCAR, you know, the big sports leagues. That's what they see themselves as. So, you know, but again, if they're not the number one guys in their own like weight class, you've got to think about that, haven't you? Anyway, that's about wrapping it up for AEW All Out and for Grand Slam from New Japan Pro Wrestling for this week. I'd like to thank my co-host, Mr. John Dinsdale. Where can we find you on the internet, sir? You can find me at Twitter handle John Deathman. That is the gateway of to hell that will give you all my writing my opinions my tweets my takes uh yeah it's basically it obviously check steel chair for all the reviews the news the occasional interviews it's all rhyming it's funny but alliteration can't say enough 
And I didn't have to make an offensive joke. No, no, we didn't swear this week at all. Well, we... A little bit. I think I did several times. Five but... swearing, I think. <laughs> Anywho, not like them ruffians at Random Wrestling Review. <laughs> Anywho, thank you very much for listening to today. My name is James Troop, and you can find me at Sheriff Star on Twitter. You can find the show Troopany Show on Twitter. You can find us on Facebook, The Troopany Show, and on Patreon where you can keep the Troopany Show free forever for everyone. Take care, and we'll speak to you next week. Bye!